It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bashcast, brought to you by BookieBashing.net, betting at 100.1 and above. This is Bashcast episode number 156, the Nash Equilibrium in Stockpiling. It is 16 minutes to 1pm on Saturday the 11th of April 2020. Coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast. No sport betting chat, because I haven't done any sport betting, have you? We um, look at the second instalment of um, data analysis that is used in the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Game theory and the Nash equilibrium in hoarding and stockpiling toilet paper. After the break, we look at poker player Mike McDonald's prop bet that he's put on. Um, A Swedish seventh tier match gets cancelled. Uh, a bit of discussion on super forecasting when there is very little data. And the Phil Ivy Baccarat story that we covered so much of um, last year and the year before is to be turned into a film. All of that and more coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast. How are we all doing? Is everyone okay? I don't think very many of us are 100%. Very, very few of us, I would imagine, are loving life and enjoying the situation that we are in just now. Perhaps back in my old late teens, early 20s days when I could sit and play poker on my own in a dark room and never leave the house, life wouldn't be that much different than it is just now. But, um, um, like, so personally for me, I, I'm finding it tough, mainly because a month ago I was a degenerate gambler, um, and I took time off being a degenerate gambler every now and again to spend time with the little people that I live with in my household. Fast forward a month, and I spend every day, day in, day out, 21 consecutive days in a row now with two people under the age of four years old. Which, right, okay, so everyone has it bad, and relatively, I don't have it that bad, 
I can only speak from my own personal perspective, that that can send you nuts. It can send you absolutely insane a little bit of the time. Now, at least, there's this thing I heard, right, which is good for mental health. Well, one is to write a journal, which I, but don't write a journal when you're looking after a one-year-old, because all it is is nappy changing and it's the most boring journal in the world. It's negative regression theory, so if you're feeling a bit down, it's a bit sick to do this, but you you imagine a parallel universe where your life is so much worse than it is just now. So, like, maybe you're a refugee in a migrant camp or something like that. Well, all of a sudden, you can start counting your blessings for the position that you're in just now. That's easy, easier said than done, because I think there's something... There's something about the current situation that I'm in where I've removed the critical thinking part of my brain and everything I'm doing is painting by numbers just now. It just makes me appreciate how much we relied on other people, be it nanny, careminders, um, nurseries, to look after our children and give us long breaks away from them. And having them all day, every day, um, just, it's not, it's a th boring, I think, is the word. Right, so I'm not problem solving. I'm sitting around, I'm trying my best not to watch Paw Patrol, but it's impossible not to turn on the TVs and the iPads. So I'm giving myself two free passes. I'm saying like, I don't, I'm not gonna get annoyed with myself over how much the kids are watching iPads. And I'm not gonna get annoyed with myself over having a few more glasses of wine than I normally have, because it gives me something to look forward to each and every day just now be interesting if it goes on for a year so look here's the caveat here if you are not interested in me if you're not interested in some random stories that are not really sports betting related um then probably this isn't going to be the best cast for you i know some people have um previously written in saying they don't like uh, anything that i warble on about that is not sports betting related but what have I got to talk about that's sports betting related? The virtual Grand National happened. I don't have anything to say on it. I had a look at the overround. It was 142%, which is less than in previous years. All the profits went to charity. There was a lot of virtue signalings that went on. Um, every bookie had the same odds, five places, one to five odds. Uh, there was no discernible edge that anybody could have had on it other than giving money to charity. So there's nothing to discuss there. Other than, I used to work in Potter's Bar and live in the Potteries, so perhaps I would have had that Potter's horse that came first, but you could... That's the thing about not having a bet. It's like the, the horse that wins, you find a reason why there's some word association with the name of the horse and your own life. Probably would have picked that up for, um, for, for any of the horses. So yeah, there's no sports betting chat really. It's just going to be about me. My personal opinions. So every day is kind of melting into one. I'm spending it um, trying my best to cook a lot. Let's just do some impressive cooking. Greenhouse is going in the back garden. Can't read books for some reason. I thought it would be a good opportunity to pick up a book and read, but I don't have the concentration. I pick up a book and I read two or three pages, and I'm not. I realise I'm not. I'm I'm reading the words, but I'm not listening to the narrative in my head. So I don't know why I can't do that. Um, I have Tiger King um, and The Caliphate completed on Netflix. I was going to include um, a section on The Tiger King in the 
in this bash cast they even made notes on it for that purpose but in all honesty it came down to just two things the fucking bitch carol baskin is guilty as hell and that episode number five where the tiger king joe exotic his husband committed suicide and then at the funeral joe exotic started talking about the funny times when his husband got his balls out and put his balls in his face and then sang a song, a a really shit song, whilst his mother sat there in the front row of the funeral. I fell off the couch. I couldn't sleep that night. But I don't don't really want to go into a critical analysis of Tiger King. Other people have done it so much better than me. If you haven't seen Caliphate, I thought that um, that, that was one of the best things I've watched recently. It's a Swedish drama series over caliphate in syria and it's not popcorn um reality tv like the tiger king but it's equally as good so those are my two two recommendations but i'm not going to talk about them here so i'm just going to talk about i don't know if there is groundhog day feeling about this my wife is um continuing to work full time so i am now the stay-at-home parent um, and there's this cost-benefit analysis with, well, there's a tiny amount of Belarusian sport on and there's some a little bit of esports. And if I drilled down a lot, I could probably find a little bit of an edge somewhere. But there is a um, time versus benefit analysis to be had, right? Um, I think anyone that's really drilling down into the edges being offered in the Belarusian leagues and the esports um fall into one of two categories degenerates um and nothing wrong with degenerates by the way <laughs> aren't we all one uh, but degenerates with lots of time on their hands and also perhaps um a lot of the scrambling low um low value hunters are just trying to grab onto anything to make their one or two or three pounds a day personally i'm like okay you know i'm not i'm not in this to make 10 pounds of ev a day that's not reasonable it's either got to be triple figures or four figures or it's got to be nothing as far as i'm concerned but um you know there's no point in me making five quid or ten quid what what's the point of doing this professionally in the long run so i've given it I've, i haven't had a bet really didn't have a bet in the grand national that haven't had a bet on anything since the beginning of march surprisingly a little bit refreshing so all of those ups and downs negative um as negative connotations that come with long losing runs which i have to put in work on so that i'm not affected by well i haven't had a long losing run i've had a long nothing run and all, all of those have gone away and then on the flip side of the coin you don't have the you, you don't have the random big win that comes in unexpectedly that covers all of your amazon costs that when you your wife decides to go on a massive amazon spending spree every 72 hours um and you can just clear that but it's been um it's been fine i think i would say i'm doing around about 60 to 70 percent i think the boredom and the groundhog dayness are probably the two things the lack of critical thinking which I, and problem solving that i miss since the beginning of march it all kind of kicked off um what was it the first weekend of march it was the players championship when that was um when that was cancelled just after the bashcast that i was last released and that weekend i went down to dorset for a friend's 40th birthday and we had a big airbnb cottage for the weekend with 
um, I don't know, maybe 20 adults and the same number of children again running around. Um, and um, I'm going to try and sort of weigh in with two different sides of the perspective of the story of how we can look at what's going on with the coronavirus and the reactions to it. Because you certainly have extremes on both sides of the fence and you certainly don't want to be caught up in mass hysteria. It doesn't help anybody and curtain twitching and all these people that seem to be delighted that they can now phone the police on the neighbours for not social distancing and going for two walks with the dog in a single day. But we're t there's a lot of people that are turning into that kind of curtain twitching. They, they wanted to be able to throw down authority on other people in society for a long time. Um, but then also on the other extreme, we don't want to be too um, flippant about the whole situation at the potential, you know, massive damage and detriment to those that are at risk. So down at this cottage, um, one thing that I know that I don't want to be giving out my opinion on many things because I'm not particularly at the front line of the data or the decision making. Uh, there are a lot more people who are a lot more informed than me. And anyone who's on Facebook and is writing up these forwarded JPEGs of, you know, stay at home, don't do fireworks when you're clapping for the NHS, this, that, this. Who are these people? Why do they think that they can write up a message to tell other people what to do? If it doesn't have NHS or government stamped on it with an emblem, what are you doing writing these things up? We're almost suffering from information overload where too many people are telling us too many things. You've got to start cherry-picking what you read and what you look at. I don't need Karen um, from accounts to be writing up a Facebook JPEG telling me the dangers of going out and not staying at home. Why, Karen? What data did you analyse in order to come up with that suggestion? Right? So, down at the cottage, um, as I said, we shared this with 20 people. One of the people down there that I shared the cottage with is probably the cleverest person I know in my life or that I've met. This guy called Paul. Um, he is a... Um, he has a PhD in a research subject and then he went and got another PhD in a different research subject. So he has two PhDs and is also a doctor of medicine and senior practitioner at a hospital in the Midlands. Uh, he's a paediatrician who has historically sort of gone and flown around in aircraft to do emergency births when there are complications and has to be done in the field and things like that. And um, so he, he's a very clever man, someone that I listen to. He also has a, a, a sort of interesting appearance where he has a Liverpool accent. And when he played in our football team, the Mindless Wanderers, um, 15 years ago or so, um, he he had a very short or um, sort of grade one haircut. I think just out of laziness that it doesn't require any effort. And so here you have a guy, quite tall, Liverpool accent, grade one haircut. He looked like you wouldn't want to meet him down a dark alley late at night. And his, his sort of his disciplinary record for the mindless wanderers um, was indicative of <laughs> of that as well. Um, but 
he, for the first time that I can ever remember, came across in those early days back at the beginning of March uh, as being extremely scared. Never seen Paul scared before in his life. And he was just saying it's not a fun time to be in the medical profession right now because of the serious risk of this disease, this virus, um, and the medical, the, the fact that the medical practitioners can get it and then they can recover and get it again and then they can recover and get it a third time and then when you've got it a fourth time and a fifth time, that's when in China they were seeing the doctors starting to suffer from heart attacks. Even the younger, fitter doctors in their 30s and 40s were suffering from the heart attacks. So the fact that he was quite scared pricked my ears at the beginning of March. And then another girl in the cottage, back from our university days, Hazel, she's a general practitioner now, and I think she had found out that she had treated a, a patient who, whilst we were away, had confirmed positive for COVID-19 coronavirus. And as a result, when we all came back from the cottage we were all recommended to self-isolate because we'd been in contact with her not that we knew whether she had it or not but she had come down with a fever and she'd been confirmed as treating this guy who they knew had it um so we all suddenly i think out of nowhere out of that one weekend, started taking it way more seriously than we had before when we were a little bit flippant and I was still making plans to go and see my parents um, on a weekly basis. And my mom is 70 and has diabetes um, type 2. So she is in the the most high-risk category. Um, and yeah, I was still, oh yeah, I'm just going to come and visit you, mom. I, I think the seriousness of the whole thing hadn't dawned on us until we returned and then... We sort of drilled down and at that point, was it like the 7th of March or something, we started self-isolating and within our 14-day self-isolation period, lockdown began and so we haven't seen anyone now in a month and four days. Um, but um, from the flippant, blasé attitude that we had to how we were living and what was going on, shit suddenly got very real at that time and then I think um, there's this element of hysteria that's kind of happened with a lot of people since then as mentioned you know it seems like the government lock it down and now everybody loses their minds and one of the problems we're gonna have is um, not just the virus if you take if you eliminated the virus from the problems that we face just now the two major ones and they are really really serious and they have to affect the decision making of what's ahead is the social problems of the hysteria of how we're going to change as a society how our next door neighbors are sort of looking out of the curtains and working out how many times that we have gone for a walk there was something on our local uh, town spotted Facebook group where someone had reported that they'd seen some teenagers gathering in the park for a beer on a Saturday night um, and there were like 300 comments the worst of the hysterical comments being that these teenagers should be charged with manslaughter 
and someone was deadly serious about that. Right, okay, look. Should teenagers be congregating in the parks? In terms of their own risk, um, there, unless one of them has a pre-existing condition, all the medical data suggests that whilst they uh, could very well be passing the virus around themselves, they could be asymptomatic and they are pretty much not going to have any major health problems. So um, does that mean that it's fine for them to congregate? Well, no, because they're passing it amongst themselves and they could be passing it upwards to um, grandparents and vulnerable people at risk. The problem is they're teenagers. I mean, come on, think of it. We can't ask teenagers to sit and stay at home every single day being bored. Do you remember being a teenager? It must be awful for them because the brains aren't evolved to um, be compassionate enough, to be intelligent enough and to be disciplined enough to understand what's going on around them. They can hear the words. It doesn't mean that they're going to enact on it. And that's not necessarily their fault. It's a maturity thing that it requires to get your head around the understanding of this. And you can, if you were a teenager, if I was a teenager, uh, you know, you're 16 years old and your friends text you on the, on the, um, on the, on the TikTok and they say, sod this for a game of bananas let's all meet down at the local park bench at 8 p.m when no when you know when mum and dad are watching the film and we'll have a beer and we'll hang around for an hour and we'll go home i mean it's it's almost inevitable that they're going to do that and what we have to do as a society is that we have to start understanding that you can't lock everybody down 24 7 all week, for months on end, or years on end, um, and expect them to comply. And it's not the fault of the people that are breaking the rules. Okay, maybe it's a little bit of their fault. But it's look at the society in whole. It's like lockdown. I think that lockdown works if we can get 90% of people to obey the rules. Well, I'm obeying the rules, and you, you're probably obeying the rules. I think I have once or twice been out for two jogs in a day. So I broke the rules then, but I live right out in the countryside. And there's the thing. But I live out in the countryside. Everyone's got a reason why, well, it doesn't affect me as much as the next person. Because dot, dot, dot. And um, you could be very right. Up in Mull, there have been zero cases of the coronavirus up in Mull. But no one's allowed to go out for two walks. And all the pubs are closed. Yet the virus isn't on the island. But we have to have the same rule for everybody just now whilst we figure out where we're going in the next stage of um, of lockdown. And it has to change. So this social hysteria that um, everybody's jumping on the bandwagon of getting angry with, with other people is sort of born from two angles. One, that people have for a long time had a desperate need sort of to, to regress into a culture of communism and phoning up and telling the authorities on their neighbours, getting their neighbours in trouble because, you know, I'll tell you what, Karen, get your own house in order before you phone the police on me. So that's the first thing. The second thing is a level of fear and panic about controlling the unknown because, you know, we all feel like we're not in control just now. So if you've had a few more drinks recently, I have, 
Have you had a few more restless nights where you haven't slept particularly well? I have. I've had some quite vivid dreams recently. All of this is born from the fact that we're not in control of the environment that's around us just now, which in itself brings a little bit of fear, which is why none of us, I don't think, are 100%. None of us can say that we're 100% okay right now. So we're all living in this fear. And um, uh, it's how best we manage it. And we're going to manage it with um, a little bit more compassion. Let's not charge our teenagers that go and meet up with each other in the park with manslaughter just yet anyway. Uh, And let's all do our best to try and become a little bit more informed. So on that subject, I wanted to sort of move into data analysis that is being used in the coronavirus, especially by the media just now. So the first differentiation that I've seen that needs to be made. So I want to sort of benchmark against this Facebook group, which was so ill-informed. One of the comments said, when they all get the virus and die, no one's going to have sympathy with them. So the first thing has to be that very, very few people are dying of the virus. We know this as a fact, right? Something like 99.9% of people are dying with the virus but have underlying health conditions. They have diabetes, they're overweight, they've been heavy smokers their entire life. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about people that have underlying health conditions. It also captures people that um, have cancer, uh, have Parkinson's disease, and you know you wouldn't you, you you wouldn't just dismiss those groups. But there there is certainly the argument that historically, if somebody died with Parkinson's disease or cancer, and they got the flu, and the flu led to pneumonia, and then they died. What goes down on the death certificate is that they died of the cancer or the Parkinson's. That was the health problem that was the major reason why they died. And sort of the flu and the pneumonia tipped them over the edge, perhaps accelerated the inevitable. And this seems to be what is happening with the coronavirus. People aren't very, very, very few healthy people are dying with, sorry, from the coronavirus, less than 0.1%. People are dying who would have died anyway, probably dying a little bit earlier, but they're dying of their existing medical condition, which has been accelerated with the coronavirus. But because of the way the WHO and the governments have set up the reporting, the coronavirus is now what's going on the death certificate, even though before it would have been Parkinson's and or cancer, and now it's coronavirus. So... Coronavirus deaths are accounting for all of these deaths. And if we compare this against flu, well, flu would be accounting for a very similar number of deaths each year. But flu doesn't go down on the on the medical, on the death record. Coronavirus, um, the existing um, health problem would go down on it. So we can't exactly compare deaths from coronaviruses versus deaths from flu so 
this has to be very, very careful when we're reporting on it from a data science point of view. Now, I'm not dismissing the seriousness of coronavirus. You see, my mum's got diabetes type 2. I'm terrified for her. At least I know she's in lockdown and isolation. She hasn't been ill since the beginning of March, so I'm sort of touch wood. She, she hasn't picked it up and been asymptomatic for a little bit of time. I'm pretty sure she hasn't got it, and if she doesn't see anybody, she's not going to get it. But when can she leave her house? Now, this is a real big problem. So it's not being dismissive of the problem, of the seriousness of coronavirus, but it is put, trying to put into perspective, look, They've mapped mortality rates around the world since this happened, and it, there doesn't seem to be any significant increase. Even in Italy, which saw all of those cases, there was no increase in overall deaths. Perhaps people were dying marginally sooner than they would have done anyway, but no one knew was dying um, without a pre-existing health condition. So when you read in the BBC and The Guardian and all of the media reports that youngest person, 17 years old, has died of the coronavirus. Um, well, if you look a little bit further in, all of those young people that died had really, really serious pre-existing heart conditions and lung conditions anyway, which is very sad. But... There hasn't yet been a 17-year-old, a 21-year-old, a 30-year-old who's been completely fit and healthy who's passed away of it. Okay, I'll, let me put an asterisk next to that. When I, I shouldn't be so complete there. 0.1% of people, okay? And even then, the average age of the people that are dying are 82 years old. So the average age are 82. So I, what percentage of people who are 20 to 30 who have no pre-existing health conditions must be very close to zero. Probably not zero because of the scale of numbers that we have, but then you probably comparable with normal seasonal flu. Nate Silver has a very good um, blog on this. Um, Nate Silver is an American statistician, ex-poker player who became very good at predicting um, um, basketball markets for his own benefit and um, political markets as well. And he's got a blog on his um, 538.com where he's editor-in-chief. This is, um, if you want to go there, it's 538.com slash features slash coronavirus case counts are meaningless with dashes where spaces should be. And so we discussed that um, people, the differentiation between people that died of the coronavirus and people that died with the coronavirus is very important. Similarly, a big um, headline-grabbing news article these days is the comparisons in how many people are infected, the coronavirus case counts in each country. And for all intents and purposes, these as well are completely meaningless, despite the fact that they frequently take pride of um, place on the front page of newspapers and Twitter and any time the government have an, uh, a conference um, and announce some statistics, these graphs are rolled out. Um, the problem with this is that when we're looking at data in sports, uh, where basically everything that happens on a football field or a basketball court um, is recorded, we know the exact score, we know the minute, we know everything, or in electoral politics, 
We have polls which have a survey of a random sample of the population that is significant enough statistically to give us some insight. Um, the COVID-19 statistics, especially in the number of reported cases, are nothing like that because the data at very best is highly incomplete. It's the tip of the iceberg for much larger problems and data on the test and the number of reported cases is highly non-random. The more test tests you do, the more cases you're going to have. And yet we put, uh, you know, England has 100,000 cases, France has 50,000 cases, Spain has 80,000 cases, the United States has half a million cases next to each other with no reference at all to how many tests are being unrolled in each of those countries. And they are really different in the approaches taken by all of the countries. Um, the worst, unfortunately, seems to be the United Kingdom, which is not great. But um, um, we don't seem to be testing anybody. I don't know why, but um, the decision was made early doors, probably that testing didn't require investment. So the University of College London um, produced a report on the 30th of March um, estimating that the true number of people uh, infected with the coronavirus in the UK was between 800,000 and 3.7 million. And that's compared on that day, if you looked in the newspapers, you had a reported case count of just 22,141 people um, with the coronavirus. So the newspapers were saying 22,000 people had the coronavirus. Um, the paper by uh, the, Imperial the Imperial College London estimated about 800,000 to 3.7 million. And this goes in line with just people aren't getting tested. But 1% of the estimated number who were infected with the virus are actually uh, have been tested and have tested positive, which sort of ties up with my friend Hazel, who, despite being frontline NHS staff, having a fever and a dry cough and having been in contact with someone who had tested positive who she was treating, she still couldn't get tested herself. Um, uh, and that means that there is a massive difference between the reported rates in, say, Norway in Germany, where there is a massive amount of testing going on, um, and those will be a lot more reliable figures than in the UK. There's also, um, and whether it's correct to draw parallels or not is unknown, but there's also uh, a trend in those two countries that the death rates are much lower. And what seems to be um, uh, new, uh, what, what seems to have caught on in the UK government is that if we're going to come out of lockdown, one of the most important things is going to be data and testing. We need to know who it is that's infected. So let's say they uh, relax lockdown because of social and economic reasons. I mean, they have to. We can't just sit here with the economy destroyed forever because the ensuing recession that will occur at some point will cause more deaths through suicides, through um, um, lack of finance available in different areas of life, um, lack of finance going into healthcare. There will be more deaths as a result of the social and economic upheaval of lockdown than there will be from the actual virus. Uh, so it's a, it's a fine line. It's a cost-benefit analysis between lockdown or 
not lockdown or probably what it's going to be is partial lockdown and what partial lockdown is okay like let's isolate every, all of those people at risk my mum unfortunately 70 year old diabetes type 2 um the seriously overweight the smokers the people with cancer and parkinson's all of those people that would be susceptible to the respiratory problems that covid seems to cause they need to be identified and will unfortunately have to remain in lockdown in some sort of isolation away from the general public because there's a need to open up the economy again. How do you open up the economy again? You need to know who's got coronavirus and who hasn't. And the only way you can do that is by upscaling testing. So by upscaling testing to what Germany, what to America are moving towards as well, we're going to be in a position where we're all getting tested all the time, maybe every week, um, and so, okay, well, I don't have it, and my wife doesn't have it, and my kids don't have it, so my kids can go to nursery. And all the rest of the kids in nursery have been tested, and they don't have it, so they can mingle together. And all of a sudden, through rigorous testing, you, you identify people that um, are new cases, and you have to go back in time and see who they've come in contact with, and um, all those guys become isolated. Everyone else gets on with their lives, and the at-risk people, they're a problem. And I haven't seen a clean solution for that um, yet. But all of that comes back to testing because of the data and the incomplete data that we have. And so if you read Nate Silver's blog, um, he puts together an analysis of four different scenarios. So this is a country that has a, a robust growth in testing as they have new cases. Um, and they have a country that um, has a sudden one-time increase in testing. Um, and then compared to um, a country that um, doesn't test very many people, like the United Kingdom, um, but does test all everyone that is seriously ill, and then compares again that to um, a country such as China and Russia, Russia, who may be sort of underestimating the number of people or understating the number of people for political reasons. And so you have... Um, four different countries or four different strategies there, all of whom would have the same sort of um, growth rates um, w with the virus. Have we all learned what the R1 and less than R1 is now the target that we're all trying to achieve with the virus outbreak? It's not a number that I'd heard of in epidemiology before, um, before we'd gone through this recent pandemic. But all four of different ones. And... Um, um, the you cannot compare one of those strategies against the other when it comes to declaring how many people in the country have got coronavirus and how many new cases you've got um, simply because it's not comparing apples with apples yet that is exactly what is happening in all of these graphs and all of these newspapers um, so the, the, there is definitely a couple of things to take out of that and one is that stop believing the nonsense that we're being fed day after day by the general media who probably are doing it for the right reasons but they're they're, they're not pulling the wool over the eyes of anyone with a basic inquisitive nature and GCSE level mathematics and the second thing is that we really need to start supporting and looking at the idea of testing if in any way we're going to come out of this mess the other thing we need to look at is bleeding wet markets in Wuhan, China as well, which I, I had I, I, I'd gone through a few of the YouTube 
videos just to see what they are. These markers, they sell live and dead animals, including fish, birds, badgers, bats, pangolins and turtles for human consumption and for spiritualistic reasons. Uh, water splashes over the sides of open tubes filled with live sea animals, which are invariably killed. Um, countertops and floors are streaked red with the insides of gutted fish and the blood of slaughtered animals. And infected bats can die and um, excrement over the top of other caged animals which are then killed and sold and eaten and it's just an entire mess and the one thing that the international community can definitely do is um clamp down and have a look at these chinese wet markets now one thing i think that everybody got up in arms about and shouldn't have done because there's nothing that we can do about it was the quite funny yet very frustrating panic buying of toilet paper that happened at the beginning of last month i assume everyone listening has been to the supermarket since the middle of march and it's i think it's a little bit better now in you know the second week of april but in the middle of march in my local three supermarkets if you walk down certain aisles um so fruit and veg um pasta and dried foods like beans and things like that and tin foods um and toilet paper they were out of all of these products and all of the aisles as various people would come in and fill their entire trolley with all of the pasta and all of the toilet roll and go and hoard them at home and this wasn't a phenomenon um that was based just in the supermarkets of Worcestershire. You were seeing this in America, in France, in Australia. And so you've got to turn around and people were getting annoyed and probably rightfully so. I mean, I was getting annoyed. I got two small children. I go to the supermarket and um, we're down to our last four rolls of toilet paper and I do my weekly shop and there's no toilet paper. I'm like, wait a minute, what about when we run out? And what a strange thing as well for people to think of to stockpile because the toilet paper isn't going to run out but everyone seems to be thinking that the toilet paper is going to run out and a lot of people got very annoyed and started saying stockpiles are idiots well they're not because when i saw that there were only three bags of rice left on the shelf i'd only gone in for one bag of rice i only need a kilogram of rice at a time for the family, and that will last and not long enough until not just the next big shop, but probably the big shop after that or after that, depending on how many rice-based meals that I cook. I took the first one, I saw the other two on the shelf, and then I put the other two in my shopping trolley. And I moved forward a couple of feet before thinking, hold on, you are causing the problem. You really don't need three. You didn't come in for three kilograms of rice. You have, And you're denying the next two people that come down the aisle, those two kilogram bags of ice. So, rice. So I put them back, and then a guy came along, and he took them both, and I was a little bit annoyed. I was hoping by doing a nice thing of putting them both back that someone else, that two more people would be able to get them. And it was just one, but there were some idiots. There was also a guy who was wearing a face mask, which at the start I thought didn't do anything, but it looks like the advice has changed. 
the weird thing about a face mask is it looks like you're protecting yourself, which you think is a selfish thing for someone to do. But in all honesty, you're protecting others. So whether they know it or not, it's not about them. It's about other people if they've got the virus. But they've got a face mask on. He also had a scarf wrapped around the face mask. Uh, and in his trolley, which was in the queue for the till, was three 200 gram bars of chocolate, a box of 12 donuts, two multi-packs of Dorito chips, dip, um, some lagers and some ciders and a doner kebab pizza. Now, look, I'm, I certainly don't want to be holier than thou about anyone else's lifestyle um, and diet. Um, heaven knows um, I've got two small kids and I'm eating too much pizza and I'm drinking too much alcohol at this time in my life. But also I'm fundamentally aware that if I get ill with the coronavirus, I'm pretty fit and healthy because over a long term, I've made a decision that I need to work out a few times a week. I'm not an athlete, but I know that I can't just sit around. And most people know that. You've got to work out. You've got to go jogging. You've got to lift weights. And I generally eat healthy in the long run, albeit probably not great just now, but it's a long-term game, right? Now, this guy, there was no attempt whatsoever in his trolley for him to eat healthy. Also, he, you just, you know, the guy was, he was a big guy, right? And the risk of him getting into health trouble from his diet and lifestyle was way higher than the benefit he was getting from wrapping a bloody scarf around the mask that he was using to protect himself, you could tell, not to protect other people. So he was just being a moron. So anyway... The, but the rice that I put back, I found that I was panic buying the rice. So I tried to think about this. And if you do think about this, it's not my fault that I then picked up the other two bags of rice. Because this can be explained by John Nash's game theory and the Nash equilibrium. Okay, So under game theory, there are two players. So down that aisle, there were two players. There was me and everybody else in the entire world. Right? And there are two strategies in the that I had available to me. One, I could buy or act normally. I could go and get one bag of one kilogram rice. And my other strategy is I can panic buy. And so I can take all of the rice because everyone else is taking all of the rice. So why shouldn't I? Everyone else has started taking all of the toilet paper. If I don't start hoarding toilet paper myself... I'm never going to have any toilet paper. Everyone else is doing it, so I have to do it. If I don't do it, I'm the chump. And that's perfectly rational, right? Absolutely perfectly rational. If you're walking down the supermarket and someone's taken 98% of the toilet paper and left five big multi-pack rolls, then I think anybody in their right mind would think, I'm taking all of those five big multi-pack rolls for my family because there's, I don't know when it is that I'm going to get um, more toilet roll after this. And um, um, everyone else is panic buying as well. And it's negative equity for me not to panic buy once everybody else has started panic buying. That's the Nash equilibrium. By choosing to act normally, I actually end up mugging myself off because I'm increasing the risk that once I've run out of the rice or the toilet paper, there's not going to be any more. So I know I shouldn't for the community. I shouldn't panic buy. 
but I'm mugging myself and mugging my family off by not panic buying. And therefore, the optimal strategy for me seems to be pick up all of the bags of rice that are left. And I was thinking about this going around the supermarket. Is I, it, it's a leap of faith that everyone else is going to act rationally and stop panic buying, especially when you see so many people queued up um, with frozen doner kebabs for their dinner. Look, okay guys, that is plenty panic buying for the first half. You are listening to the Bashcast and it's brought to you by BuckyBashing.net.
with Upside Down, the Joris Vaughan remix, released 20th of March 2020. In the bookie bashing news, Mike McDonald, professional poker player and all-round seemingly good guy, um could soon replace Steph Curry at the Golden State Warriors. Maybe he can, maybe he can't, I don't know. But he has put up a prop bet that is um, seemingly quite interesting. So Mike McDonald, long-time professional poker player, um, originally put out uh, a bet at even money that... um, he can now Mike McDonald, bear in mind, not particularly athletic, not unathletic, but he's not an athlete. He's 13 million in live tournament caches. He's said that he can make 90 out of 100 shots, so a 90% success rate um, at free throws, at basketball shots from the free throw line um, by the end of 2020. Now, to put this into perspective, um, Steph Curry had a 90.56% success rate from the free throw line. And I googled it, and the player with the highest percentage right now has got a 91% success rate from the free throw line, which is Devin Booker um, for the Phoenix Suns um, with 91.2%. And just behind him, in fact, was Steph Curry with 90.56%. So um, Mike McDonald has um, backed himself at even money that he will be able to make 90, not 9 out of 10, 90 out of 100 free throws. Um, And you can go and bet on this if you want to, although um, it went down to um, 1 to 2 after he took a lot of money against it. He had to lay it. And a lot of people came in with money saying there's no chance you can do this. I think this is quite an interesting one, though, because 
he has unlimited tries to try and do this. So let's say he misses the first um, 8 out of 10, which I would be more than capable of missing 8 out of 10. And this guy has no athletic ability, no particular ability um, at shooting basketball hoops. He says he hasn't played basketball since 2012 and only has limited experience from the three free throw line. The thing is... This is an interesting Monte Carlo analysis because LeBron James and the rest of them, they have to throw free throws in the heat of battle. Um, They have adrenaline pumping and they don't have any rhythm. You see, the game stops. You don't have any rhythm going into it. And um, you have to stop, calm yourself down and throw your free throws. If you're just able to stand there and throw basketballs at hope you get into a rhythm over and over again and then secondly he has the end of 20 he has until the end of 2020 he's able to stop whenever he wants to and reset the clock so you miss eight out of 20 you reset the clock i think obviously if you've missed nine out of 80 you've got to keep on you got to keep on going and hope you just hit 20 in a row which would be Frustrating. So this is the sort of interesting Monte Carlo analysis. It's like, let's say you can get as good as, as an amateur, I don't know, I'm plucking a number out of thin air, 65%. If you just train and train and get advice and train, can you throw 65% success rates at the from the free throw line? Well, let's say you've got no kids, you've got no particular relationship with another single human being that you want to be strong um but and you can just stand there um as i could have done as a 21 year old with a basketball hoop in the back garden or the gymnasium and just throw basketballs at the free from the free throw line as a 65 percent um success rate how much would I have to throw at the hoop to be an even money favourite to shoot 90 out of 100? Would I have to do two hours a day every day? Well, if I've got a prop bet for half a million, then I'm probably going to spend two hours a day every day throwing from the free throw line. I don't know. What do you reckon? And this is the thing. It's like, what do you have to do? You could probably work out where the attempt line is where you are even money if you can estimate accurately what your percentage is and perhaps if you're 65 percent, just doing it over and over and over again that statistically you are even money two hours a day every day doing it between now and the end of 2020 i plugged some numbers into microsoft excel and i did assume that he would be 65% and I assumed that he could take one free throw every 10 seconds and I assumed that he would do two hours a day every single day and my back of fag packet maths suggested that he should be about a four to one shot to hit 90 out of 100 and so I am tempted to put up Maybe a little bit of money against Mike here. Um, Haven't done it yet. I'm still mulling over if I've done something wrong. But to me, he seems like he needs to be 
four to one, five to one, something like that. I mean, like even money, it sounds crazy. It sounds easy money as well. Don't go and bet any money. Just on what I've said, I could easily have modeled something incorrectly, but it just screams to me that the guy has got his numbers wrong. Unless in secret, he's actually been hustling for his entire life and he is um, he's Steph Curry. In disguise. There was a game on the 30th of March 2020, so about a week and a half ago, between Eskilstuna FC and um, of the seventh tier in Swedish football and Nashualta GOIF, which is some Swedish acronym. Um, Eskilstuna, incidentally, really seventh tier? They were in Europa recently. Can't believe they're so low. Well, I wonder if the, the downfall or relegation drama of Eskilstuna should be something to be researched and documented but anyway um they had to cancel their game on the 30th of march 2020 a day in which um this is you know well after belarus had set the example of being the only league in the world that was willing to carry on with football um and this was just a friendly between two swedish sides um but Proof of the phenomenon that um, people will bet on anything. Um, the game had to be cancelled because people all over the world had contacted both clubs to gather information about the game, supposedly to make a more informed bet on a game in the doldrums of the sports world where nothing really was going on back at that time and this kind of sort of smacks of the desperation of when there is no sports on i don't like this one bit i mean definitely there are edges to be had um outside of the primary leagues in football it's hardest to make money on the premier league and the champions league where smart syndicates have shaped um the prices to within an inch of their life and you really can't get an edge on them and but you can get an edge if you look further into secondary leagues and tertiary leagues but this isn't even tertiary this is whatever the word is for the ninth order of confidence and data um so this is one of the few matches that were going on and people were getting in touch through social media According to Benging Ozeran, uh, the Eskilstuna FC chairman, um, people from around the world were saying things like, hope you lose or good luck. There were more than 100 people phoning us in under an hour. It was chaos. It was not a fun day. We decided to cancel the game for the player's safety. You never know what could have happened after people started contacting the players. They even contacted a coach in the same division we play in to check how we play and how we have played in the past. People even got in contact with some of our former players and asked about our starting lineup. It was sick. I'm not going to sit on the fence here. I mean, Jesus Christ, just give it a rest. Just give it a rest for a week or two. I'm, let's not play all high and mighty. I mean, I'm trying to choose this time to be have a moment with my children, which is uninterrupted, and it's nice not having the dramas and the stresses of winning runs and losing runs, and it's kind of nice whilst being stressful, and I'm not saying to you how you should live your life. What I am saying is, Jesus Christ, give it a rest for a minute or two. There's no sport on, 
Um, and this is a time where we can perhaps think about, I don't know, like painting, walking, bird watching, something creative, something artistic, something peaceful. But don't get your knickers in a twist over Eskil Tuna versus Nashulta Goyef. Um, similarly, um, there was a lot of shenanigans recently when the government of the United Kingdom announced what kind of subsidy was available for PAYE employees. So they're getting 80% of their salary if they've been furloughed up to £2,500. And then it's slightly different for um, all of the people that are self-employed. And um, there's a lot of schadenfreude going on just now with people seemingly delighted um, at the difficulties people who underreported their tax um, may be facing now um, sustaining their lifestyle, which in my opinion is not amusing in whatsoever. But from an advantage player background, here's where I stand. I've been extremely fortunate enough to faff around for the last few years of my life, for the last half decade, a little bit longer. Um... In that time, um, I've had a bankroll, which pretty much serves two purposes. Um, it allows me to go on long losing runs so that I can invest in positive EV decisions and make some money. And um, after a period of time, after I've paid my mortgage and put shoes on my kids' feet and put a little bit of money away for a rainy day it allows us to have some holidays and some nice meals and i think every single advantage player is aware of this phenomenon of how nice it is to have a little bit of extra spare cash that other people don't necessarily come into unless they've had an inheritance which takes away the dramas and the stresses of real life and it's the only area of life and really only in the uk where you will find it where it is tax-free. You know, you do this in America, it's taxable. Gambling winnings are taxable in America. You do this in Sweden, it's, ta it's, it's very heavily taxable. Sweden, apparently one of the fairest um, countries in the world, will try and do this in Sweden. You're going to be faced with so much tax that um, uh, it, th there are pretty much no advantage players in the sports betting world in Sweden and Norway because of how much you're taxed on your winnings. It just erodes the edge. Um, and anyone who is a professional poker player from Scandinavia kind of has to um, change um, their um, where they live to the UK and London simply because of tax reasons. So if the government turn around and announce what kind of subsidies they are offering and you feel a little bit peeved that you don't qualify for any as an advantage player um i have some kind words of advice for you and that's shut the fuck up and shut the fuck up and look at how lucky and appreciative you need to be for how you've lived over the last few years. You've given nothing back to the economy other than taxes from your own wages. And there's a lot of professional advantage players who have given very little back to the taxman, me included. So I'm not all being all high and mighty here, you know. I worked for a very long time in my life, but I've also been a professional gambler for a long time in my life. And I haven't given the government a penny when I've been a 
professional gambler. I've always felt very guilty about it, but every time you think, I'm going to try and figure out if there's something I can do here to give something back, a few weeks go by and you never actually do it. And it's not an excuse, but I'm a bad person about it. Well, now at a time when um, the country has come to a stop, the sports betting world has come to a stop and people are scrambling over Eskil Tuna versus Nasholta, G-O-I-F. This is a moment to say, you know what, This who knows how long it's going to go on for? Two months, three months, six months, eight months? As a professional advantage player with your bankroll, you should pretty much have that available. Now, nobody wants to give up eight months living expenses, but at the same time, I haven't paid any tax. I'm certainly not going to be going and running to the government seeing if I can claim any credits for anything. That's definitely not going to happen. I'm indebted for the lifestyle that I've been able to achieve in the last few years. And I've seen a few comments from some people trying to milk a system that they do not give into. And like people that were phoning up Eskil Stuna in their friendly game against 8th tier Nashualta, give it a break. Give it a break right now. Okay, this is the moment where we step back and go, thank you very much. I'll sort myself and my family out for the next few months and um, we'll pick it back up and we'll be absolutely fine when we come back. I'm not necessarily being altruistic um, and giving anything to anyone, uh, but I'm definitely not taking either because this is not my time to take. We spoke at length about... um, the Baccarat Advantage Play story on the Bashcast. Um, I don't want to go over it in depth for the billionth time, but any new listeners, um, um, the sort of 30-second synopsis was that professional poker player Phil Ivey um, and his Advantage player friend Chong Yin Kelly Sun um, developed the ability to um, read cards from just looking at the back of them um, due to a printing error um, and were able to play Baccarat for high stakes at various casinos to the tune of 10 to $20 million. Um, and then the European Commission got involved when he uh, Phil Ivey wasn't paid from the um, Genting Casino in London um, and found in favour of the casino saying that Phil Ivey and Chong Ying Sun cheated, which is just complete outrageous, completely and utterly outrageous finding on behalf of the casino. It shows where the United Kingdom and European governments think of customer and advantage player when it comes to casinos and bookmakers. Well, um... This looks like it's going to be made into a movie, which is great news. Um, Nora Lum, who is a Chinese-American actress known professionally as Aquafina. Um, she's been in films such as... Oh, she's a singer as well, but I haven't heard any of these songs. Pockets, Green Tea, Yellow Advert. If you're familiar with any of those classics, then uh, she was in that. Um, she was in... The Angry Birds movie (laughs) 2, Ocean's 8, Bad Rap, Storks, films like that. She is uh, set to play 
Chong Yin, Kelly Soon. Uh, we don't know who's going to play Phil Ivy, but um, this follows, I don't know, a long list of um, gambling movies, the majority of which suck. You know, you pretty much have to go back to The Gambler um, before you can before you can find a film that stands up to the test of time. That and um, maybe The Sting, if you can call that a gambling movie, I don't know. And and Molly's Game, um, the, the poker biographical drama film um, about Molly Bloom with... Um, um, Idris Elba and Kevin Costner and ridiculous Michael Cera casting and Chris O'Dowd. But um, this should be interesting how they do this. I hope they do justice to it because I found it the most fascinating story. It's inspired um, on the um, Michael Kaplan article, The Baccarat Machine, published in Cigar Aficionado, if you want to... Um, if you want to... Google that. And focuses on the background of Kelly's son, who was a young Chinese woman who developed a talent and obsession for payback into beating the system at their own game. And um, who can fall in love with a story like that? Um, So God knows if the um, current lockdown has put a pause to filming or shooting or anything like that. But, um, you know... Yeah, um, that that could be an if that turns out to sort of cross the boundaries of a film that is quality both with advantage players and gamblers and the general public, um, then you know you, you never know that could draw attention to the plight to the ridiculous plight of the power struggle that punters um, and advantage players have uh, against bookmakers and uh, casinos this side. Of the Atlantic. Talking about poker, it is currently Saturday afternoon. Tomorrow night, Sunday night, 8pm. We are going to try something. We're going to have the first bookie bashing lockdown tournament on PokerStars. This is one of the home games in PokerStars. Anybody can come and join and play. It doesn't matter if you don't have a PokerStars account. It doesn't matter if you're not a bookie bashing member or not you your dog your mom everyone can play i'd rather you your dog and your mom didn't play at the same time because blatantly that's you playing on three different accounts over vpns and it's just a bit cheesy i mean it's it's completely possible to cheat or uh, at least you can maybe have three people sitting down on the same table and you can know if somebody has the not blocker or not but why do it it's the reason why i wouldn't ever sit down with three guys um in a cash game, who are all from Russia, it's like, nah. Like, I know Russia's a, co- a big country, but nah, mate, it's not happening. Like, I just don't know that you're not three friends sitting with a VPM talking about who's got the Ace of Spades, not blocker, so that when I bluff pretending to have the Ace of Spades, you know that your mate had it. If you want to come down and join us and play, and you don't have a PokerStars account, download the PokerStars client. It, yes, I mean, that's as ridiculous as it is. You have to download a piece of software onto a PC. It doesn't work on mobiles or iPads, home games. But um, just put it on your PC. It's fine. It's just a piece of software. Who cares? Um, and you can sign up. You can probably get some... So- I have no idea. You can make- I've had a PokerStars account since the early 2000s. There'll be some sort of sign-up bonus that will be positive equity. Although, if you've no idea how to play poker... It'll probably be negative equity, I don't know. Um, but sign up. Um, go and find home games on 
the client um, and search for home game. Get a pen and paper. Number 3381711. That's the bookie bashing home game. Uh, try and join it. The password is bookie bashing. You have to wait until I accept you, which is a bit stupid because I'll accept everyone. So like I'm not going to reject anyone unless it's Phil Ivy. Even then, I'd accept them. So, um, um, but I have to come to my computer and find out who's waiting to be accepted. But I'll do that. There'll be one tournament on. It's on 8 p.m. Sunday night. It is a whopping 10. No, not even ten. Eleven pound buy-in, uh, of which ten pounds goes to the prize pool. One pound goes to PokerStars. Um, you get three thousand chips. It's a turbo format. When they're gone, they're gone. So eleven pounds is the maximum that you can lose. Um, most people will be knocked out within one or two hours. Um, the winner will probably win heads up after two to three hours. 15% of the field will be paid on a sliding scale, but I do not expect that many people to play. Um, not many of my pals are poker players, and my old poker playing pals from 15 years ago, the, the problem is they've all got families and everyone gets tired at 8 p.m. <laughs> and bookie bashing itself is still a, a premium private um, community of which there um, have never really, there's been a static number of men members for the last couple of years. So look, if we get 20 people, I'll be delighted. That will be an achievement. It's not going to be a huge tournament, but it'll be a little bit of fun. So if you're listening to this on the Saturday night or Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, I wish you well. And if you're doing nothing at 8 p.m. on Sunday night, come down, place uh, 11 pounds down, see if you can ship this No Limit Golden Turbo Tournament. Whatever it is that you're betting on, give it a fucking rest for a couple of weeks, you know? We've got a lifetime of betting ahead of us. The Belarusian League doesn't deserve our attention. And there are more important things in life going on just now. Just make sure you do not believe the context of which everything that you read. This is Tom, signing out. Did the earth move fire? Did the earth move fire? Did the earth move fire? Yeah.